Well, good morning, church. You know, we, we, uh, we actually allow certain things in this church. You can clap. You can sing out loud. You can even say amen. Let's try it all together. Amen. amen. <laughs> I want to welcome you all to worship. And I see a couple of families I haven't seen in many, many months. I won't look at them right now. <laughs> So we're excited you're here. Are you excited to be here? Say amen. Amen. Okay. Yes. How many of you like to read as a kid? Anyone? You should keep on reading. When I was a kid, I I loved to read, but I just didn't like books where I would read them from beginning to end and the author would tell me exactly where to go. I like to read a book called Choose Your Own Adventure Books. Choose your own adventure. Can you bring my mic down a little bit? It sounds a little loud in my ear. Thank you. That's better, right? Is that better? Yes. Choose your own adventure books. Anyone remember Choose Your Own Adventure books? Anyone read these? Yes. And um, this is where you'd read part of the story, and it was told like in second person. So you'd be following a guy scuba diving, and he's in a submarine now, and then, and then you're out of the submarine, you're, you're in the submarine, and then you're back in the submarine, and then you, you see bubbles coming up out of the, the fissures of the earth. And do you explore the fissure and take a closer look, or do you keep going? And you turn to page 7 to explore, turn to page 23 if you keep going, and so you explore, and all of a sudden there's the hot lava coming out, and you die a terrible, horrible death. I collected all these books. I read them, and I loved all the different endings. I love the idea that I get to choose my own adventure, and this is, you know, as the plot goes, I get to direct some of the action. There was also, back when I was growing up, you know, how many of you love Daylight Savings Time? Anyone here? There's two hands, three hands up. So there was actually a hotline. This is for the millennials uh, in the room. There was actually a hotline you could call. Uh, There was a day if if the power went out like we had recently and your clocks went out in your house, you had to set your clocks. And so my kids say, what'd you do? Did you look at your iPhone? No, because our phones in 1983 were hanging on the wall with a cord on them. Remember that? Anyone remember that? So you didn't turn, but you used your phone. You actually could call for the time. And they still have this today. The U.S. Naval Observatory still does this today. Uh, But back in that day, every city had a number you could call. And it was, you could press one to find out the time. You all remember this? You remember this? Yes. This is, of course, when dinosaurs were ruling the earth, right? Yes. And, but I lived in Papillion, Nebraska, and you could call and get the time, and then it would also give you the weather. Press two for the weather. Remember that? And, and then uh, you could press three, and you could hear the joke of the day. And they were terrible jokes. They were groaners. They were like the jokes I give. For instance, where did Noah keep the bees? In the archives. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? You love that. Didn't you? One more. I went to the paint store to get thinner. It didn't work. These are, these are the kinds of jokes that, that I know. But I really wasn't interested in the joke of day because if you press the next button, it would actually give you a choose-your-own-adventure on the phone. On the phone. So you're in a cave. Okay, I'm in a cave. I'm 13 years old. It's 1983. I'm in a cave. And you see a vine that you could swing. Do you grab the vine? If you want to grab the vine, press two. You press three to try to jump, but I, I grab the vine and press two. Turns out it was a snake, and I got bit in the face, and I died. And this is why I'm so messed up, you guys. This is why I'm so messed up. <laughs> Choose your own adventure. This was my upbringing. 
And actually, Jesus says that's exactly what's happening every time you hear God's word. You are choosing your own adventure. More specifically, you get to choose the soil of your heart. Everyone is their own farmer. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're your own farmer. Go ahead and say it. You have to take responsibility for the... Some of you are discussing it. (laughs) You're a terrible farmer. No, you have to take responsibility for the condition of your heart. You cannot always change the circumstances, the seasons, or control the wind, but you can control the soil of your heart. Amen? Amen? Now, we don't like to admit this because it takes away our ability to blame other people when things go wrong. Why are you so bitter? Well, I'm so bitter because she broke up with me back in 1983. And so I'm hanging on to 1983, and it's affecting my present day instead of getting better. I could get better, but I've chosen to get bitter because that's the soil of my heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. The one who complains about the way the ball bounces is likely to be the one who dropped it. Now imagine this scene, because when Jesus teaches this parable that Miriam read, um, there's a huge crowd. There's about 15,000 people in the crowd. And we're going to talk a little bit about the crowd. I normally don't talk about the crowd, but it's important that you pay attention because we're going to come back to the crowd. Are you with me? Say crowd. Okay. So the crowd is actually thrusting upon Jesus. There's about 15,000 people at this time. And a crowd, as you know, can crush you. Correct? Yes? Yes, we've seen Black Friday stories, you know, on, on Black Friday where people are, are, you know, jammed into Wally World to get the $100 flat screen TV and they're, they're fighting over this uh, or they're stomping people to death. It happens. There's a lot of people get crushed at religious festivals uh, throughout uh, time. Uh, every year, uh, people are, get crushed in Cambodia. There was actually people that got crushed in Sheffield, England at a soccer game. 75 people were killed at a soccer game trying to get into the arena. There was a Justin Bieber concert one time. Nine people were killed just trying to listen to Justin Bieber. The first mistake was they were trying to listen to Justin Bieber. That was a joke. There was 11 people killed one time at a Who concert trying to hear a sound check. Now, we think about being trampled by a crowd, and we think about, you know, the crowd just runs you over, and you get trampled, and and that's how it happens. But actually, I did a little research on this, and typically, people that are killed in a crowd are actually crushed while they're standing up, because the crowd presses and picks them up, and they can't breathe, and they're actually crushed. The oxygen squeezed out of your lungs. This actually happened, like the Brooklyn Bridge. The Brooklyn Bridge was opened in May of 1883. 12 people died seven days after it opened because nearly 20,000 people at one time were trying to stand on the Brooklyn Bridge. This is the kind of history that you say, where does he get this stuff? And this is what I spend my week doing, okay? All right, another joke. I tell you, the jokes are going great today. To hear no more jokes, press five on your phone right now, yes. Jesus is walking and he's literally walking and there's a huge crowd, and he's going to get crushed to death. So what Jesus does, he, he says, I'm going to get in a boat. And so he gets in a boat to get away from the crowd. But he's also using, if you've ever been to the area, he's also using the natural acoustics of the area and preaching up into the hillsides. And he's leading, and his voice would bounce across the water. And he was broadcasting the message. Now, when we think of broadcasting, we think about what we do during COVID, what we started really, really getting serious about doing, about putting our message on YouTube, Facebook, our website, and there's a couple Japanese channels that none of you know about, but we're broadcasting on them as well, okay? 
That's true, aren't we, Jonathan? Yes, yes, Jonathan says yes. But the actual word broadcast uh, originally was an agricultural term that farmers used. They would grab a bag of seed and they would begin to throw it out and they would broadcasting it. This was the original ABC, y'all, okay? Always be connecting, scattering the seeds, sending them out. Sometimes they would put a big bag of seed on the back of a donkey and they'd poke holes in it and they would send the donkey out and the donkey would broadcast the seeds. So what Jesus is telling people as he's preaching, he's broadcasting the message to them, but he's not just talking to the crowd. He is actually giving us the ability with his glasses to see what's happening in each person's heart as they hear the message. Now, crowds, we know this, crowds can do a lot of things, right? You think about the power of a crowd. You think about how in our day, a crowd can be sourced, right? In our day, we can do something called crowdfunded. You ever heard of that? Yes? Or you can have a Kickstarter or Indigo, and you can get a crowd of people to work together, or GoFundMe, or any other way you can get crowds to do something. But there's also a way to please a crowd. And how do you please a crowd? Chips and queso. Amen? Come on, South Texas, come on. It's a crowd pleaser. But Jesus is not offering crowdsourcing or crowdfunding or GoFundMe. He's actually offering crowd dissecting. He's allowing us to dissect a crowd. And from his perspective, that every single person who hears this message today does not walk away with the same experience. I guarantee you, some of you have already checked out right now. And some of you are like, this is the greatest message I've ever heard. And some of you are like, what is he thinking? This is not even close to great. It's okay. Two people can experience the same thing, hear the exact same message, and walk away completely with something different, a different take from it, right? Okay? So same seed, different soils. Does this make sense? Does it make sense? Say amen. All right. So why does the Bible mention a crowd? One reason, Jesus knows how easy it is to see the need for others to change, right? It's so easy for me to see how you need to change your life, but so difficult for me to see how I need to change my life. Have you ever found this is true? Have you ever looked at someone and said, you know, if they would just do this, X, Y, and Z, their life would be so much better. But you never do that with yourself, do you? It's no fun to do that with yourself, amen? It's choose your own adventure. Jesus is saying, take care of your own heart. It's up to you. Don't blame anyone else for your hard-heartedness or your heart full of weeds. You are your own gardener. Jesus is saying this to each individual in the crowd. So sermon in a sentence, making someone else responsible for your misery also makes them responsible for your happiness. Why give that power to anyone but to God and yourself? This is where you say amen. So Jesus is not speaking to a crowd here. He's speaking to each person in the crowd. He's talking to you. He's saying, be responsible. Anne Frank wrote this in a closet hiding from the Germans. She said, the final forming of a person's character lies in their own hands. A 13-year-old girl wrote that in a closet hiding from the Germans. So she is choosing her own character. So Jesus wants each person in the crowd to hear him speak. He's saying, I'm going to broadcast this. This is God's word. Pay attention. And he's talking about integrity, the character of your heart, and then your life bearing fruit. If you have good soil in your heart, it leads to fruitfulness. But God doesn't just call us to be faithful. God calls us to be fruitful. Somebody say fruitful. 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 You got to bear the fruit. 
So let's talk about just some barriers to fruitfulness. The first of which is hard-heartedness. When your hard when your heart is hard ground, Jesus says, it's like the sidewalk. It's like the pavement, right? The ground's very hard. The seed goes onto the pavement, and what does it do? Just bounces up, and eventually, what happens? What happens, church? Caw, caw! Big old crow comes in. I've been waiting all week to do the sound of a crow like that. And the crow comes in and eats the seed and scoops it up, and you have no fruit in your life. So your hard heart robs you of the opportunity to receive God's word. And Jesus said, whoever has ears, let him hear. And the idea is listen for your own change. Listen for your own transformation. Because we've all been there. Have you ever listened to a message and it's like really convicting, but you start nudging, it's the ministry of the elbow, you start nudging your spouse, are you listening to this? Are you paying attention? Because this message is for you. And your spouse is thinking, no, this message is for you. Oh, I wish my sister could hear this talk because, man, she really needs this message and we don't apply the message in our own life because we're too busy thinking about how our sister needs this talk. Oh, I wish my boss could hear this podcast. I think I'll send my boss the podcast. Listen, God's got your sister's phone number too and your boss's as well. He called you because he wants to change you. He wants to touch you. He wants to work in your life. So don't send the podcast to anyone but yourself. But there's a second ground that Jesus presents here that's a barrier to being fruitful, and that's shallow ground. It's a ground that has an inch of soil, and then there's rocks. If you've ever been to New Braunfels, this is New Braunfels soil. It's limestone underneath one inch of soil. And so the seeds land there. They were able to jump up real quickly, right? This is a person who says, man, I love church. I came to church for the first time, and it was great. And it was just, yay, God, and woohoo! Loved the band, loved the music, and the message was just fantastic. That happens at other churches, right? Okay. That was a joke. And then they find out that t- life is tough. And life is tough for all of us. Amen? I love Ernest Hemingway, who once said, the first and final thing you have to do in this world is to last in it and not be smashed by it. Anyone relate to that? But the reality is a lot of people have given their lives to God. And they found out that life can still smash them. Life can smash you relationally, financially, emotionally, in your health, in your career. You get smashed by life. And I think sometimes people, they have a great zeal starting out for God. And I'm on fire for God. And we've all known people, for, they're just for a little while, they're like, man, I'm just going to church and I'm on fire for God. And then all of a sudden something went wrong and they're looking at God like they're confused and they're like, wait a minute. I thought I was going to follow you, and I was going to get a front row parking spot at the gym. Now, why do we want a front row parking spot at the gym? Well, we're there to work out. But I'll tell you something about me. I will circle the athletic club parking lot for a half hour to get a good spot. Why? Because I'm not going to exercise on the way to getting exercise. I don't even have my earbuds in yet. That'd be totally inappropriate. But we almost think we know why. We misunderstand, hear me, this shallow ground people misunderstand the nature of Christianity. You ever met somebody like this? They buy into the Christian myth and they confuse it with karma. 
that if I do good for God, then God's going to do good for me. Well, we don't want to be shallow because then we'll become easily disillusioned. Disillusioned. I thought you were going to bless me, God. I thought you were going to help me. And I think oftentimes this is the story of people who followed Jesus at one point, but they grew disillusioned. Oh, the God thing wasn't for me. Didn't seem to help me. Didn't do much for me because they came to see God as a blesser, not as a savior. They came to see God as a sugar daddy and not as a king. And Jonathan, my media director who has Baptist roots goes, I can't believe you just referred to God as a sugar daddy. <laughs> that when we were building a service this week. I said, but that's the way some people look at God. And the honest admission is, oh, I trusted God, but he didn't answer me. Oh, God didn't answer my prayers when my mom was in the hospital. And what we're saying, honestly, is, and I'm trying to be tender here because I know this represents a lot of hurt, is that, you know, we're trying to say, you know, hey, God, I want you to be part of my kingdom. Not, I'm willing to be part of yours. But when we come to him as Savior, and when we come to him as Lord, we are worshiping him. And whether he gives or whether he takes away, we're saying, I'm going to bless the name of the Lord. That's the kind of depth we have, we want to have. That's the kind of strength. That's the kind of power that can weather the storms of life so that we don't fall away in times of testing, as the scripture says. So, See, I really, and Renee didn't understand this point, but think about this. God wants you to live on your tippy toes. If you live on your tippy toes, a tippy toe life, and then when life's bad, what happens? You get pushed back, then you land on your heels. If you have a deep faith, you land on your heels. Are you understanding this? But if you're always, if your soil is just shallow and you're prone to disillusionment and you're living on your heels already, when you get pushed back, what happens? What happens, church? Hello? You fall over. But when you're on your tippy toes and you say, you know what? I know that God can take the worst things that we face in life and bring good out of them. And I'm going to be patient and I'm going to keep worshiping God. And I'm going to see how God can work out of this mess and make a masterpiece. Look at the cross as proof. The cross was a symbol of death. And Jesus took it and made it a symbol of life, of transformation. You have to have a robust theology. Do you hear me, church? Someone say amen. amen. And you can believe God is good even when life is really hard. So we don't want to. We don't want to have shallow hearts only looking for what can I get out of this? We want to live for God's glory and not our own. And neither do we want to have crowded hearts. And this is the point where you are most likely to have this. So pay attention, because everyone in here probably has a crowded heart. And this is the third kind of condition Jesus described. Problem with a crowded heart is there's so many things in your life, it'll distract you. You're perpetually distracted. Most of us are not going to shake our fist at God and say, I don't want anything to do with God. But the devil knows if he can't get you to hate God, if he gets you busy with other things, then you won't pay attention to God. So not focusing on Jesus, not growing the crops he wants you to. There's weeds. It was good soil. Your heart was good. The problem is there's so many things you got to do. You got to care for other things. You got to scroll on Facebook for hours. People touch their phones today more times in a day than there are minutes in the day. Scroll and scroll and scroll. Check your hours. 
How many hours a week are you on your phone and you're distracted and you get suffocated? It's like the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler? He's got everything going on. He came to Jesus, wealthy, successful, connected, highly religious. He had everything from the world standpoint you could want, but he came to Jesus, and that tells you everything you need to know. The road the rich man walked filled his pockets, but emptied out his soul. And isn't that just the truth if you think about it? Every time you achieve something you thought would bring happiness, it just brought a new desire for a new level, right? A new opportunity. Happiness always seems to be out of reach on this earth. And why do people overdose on drugs? Looking for that original feeling the first time they got high. Always thinking the next high is going to do it. The next party is going to do it. The next person you sleep with is going to do it. And it just brings more emptiness and more sadness and there's still that desire in your heart to know, why am I here? What was I made for? And so Jesus says to him, follow me. Leave all you have. Give to the poor and let's go. Jesus called him out on that moment. And this guy, he, he just saw the conflict because he knew that he wanted, he wanted that. He wanted to follow Jesus, but he had a crowded heart. And the Bible says he left what? He went away Sad. He left sad, unwilling to separate himself from the weeds that were growing in his heart at that moment. He was so distracted. And it's easy to live distracted and choose the good and neglect what is best. And the rich young ruler had good soil, but it was crowded. And his identity was all wrapped in money. And if you have your identity all wrapped up in your career or playing football or your modeling or your YouTube following and your one million subs on Facebook, what do you do when it all collapses? What do you do when you find out you've been building a sandcastle at the edge of the sea? That's what Steve Jobs found out. Read about Steve Jobs at the end of his life when he was dying from pancreatic cancer. There's no hope. There's no power. And even if you've achieved success, and no one achieved success like Steve Jobs did, and you build that company, millions of dollars, great, great, great. But then is life really a quest to be the richest man in the cemetery? Because that's what Steve Jobs is. He's the richest man in the cemetery. Well, good for him. There was a man named Job, and he was the richest man in the ancient Far East. His money was tied up in the stock market, the livestock stock market. That was a little joke. It's going great. The jokes today, I tell you what, Renee, these jokes, I'm going to have to circle them and re come back to them. Don't you think, church? No. He had a diversified portfolio, Job did. He had goats. He had cows. He had pigs. Well, I don't know if he had pigs, but thank God for Jesus because we can eat bacon now, right? Just me? Okay. So there was a day when a servant came to him and said, we lost all the goats. Marauders came. That was taken out. And they came to Job and they said, uh, all the servants are gone and, and, and uh, you lost all your livestock and all your net worth is wiped out. And no sooner than the servant reported that all his livestock was gone, another servant came in, tears streaming down his face and said, Job, all 10 of your children uh, have died in an event that took place when they were feasting at one of the sons' house. Seven sons and three daughters gone. The roof collapsed and all your children are dead, Job. And that was 
being communicated. And as that was being communicated, Job quickly fell sick and had sores all over his body. And he ended up deceased. He had no money to seek out medical attention. The story of Job takes place, really, if you look at the story of Job, it takes place with him sitting on a dump of ashes, an ash dump. He's sitting on garbage, penniless, destitute, bankrupt. His wife comes to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? And there's no point in life anymore. And he's like, thanks, honey. That's great advice. And when you start reading the story of Job, you'll be like, God, why, why didn't the devil take his wife out? He took everyone else out in his life. But then you realize she's still alive because she's on the devil's team. And this picture of Job, who had every possible thing you could have on earth, he had all of his eggs in one basket, and, and all the eggs were broken, and his basket was gone. And when Job opens his mouth to speak, he shows us how, in the midst of devastation, loss, and suffering, that he does not have shallow soil, that he maintains a, a heart of worship to God. And, for this is, and what he says actually gives me hope. He says, in the midst of that, I know my Redeemer lives. And, and I know I shall stand at, at last on the earth. And, and, and Job is, shows that I'm going to see God again. And God still loves me. That's basically what he says. And he's living on his tippy toes, not on his heels. And after my skin is destroyed, Job says, I know I shall see God. So listen to me, friends. Death is one of two things for you. It is either leaving home or going home, depending on the nature of the soil of your heart. And by the end of the book of Job, it was all a test. He didn't know it, but it was all a test. And God gives him twice as much as he ever had. He gives him twice as many goats, twice as much money, twice as much property. And he gives him 10 more kids, twice as much of everything, but not twice as many more kids. Why? He still has his kids. They're just in heaven. So he gets 10 more. And so I ask you, are your eggs in the world's basket? Are they in God's? Is your citizenship in heaven? Does God and God's will have deep roots in the soil of your heart? And I won't be faithful to Scripture if I didn't say by the end of your life that you too will live forever and death is not going to be the end of the road for you. It's a bend in the road, but where death greets us, the road forks. And there's, there's not just a road that leads to life. There's also a road that leads to shame and contempt. That's what the book of Daniel says. All will rise, some to life and some to everlasting contempt. It's choose your own adventure. That's the scripture. Okay, are you still with me? Say amen. amen. All right, so what do we do if our soil is not right? Because some of you are like, uh-oh, I got a crowded heart. Or uh-oh, I got weeds. Or uh-oh, I got rocky soil. What do we do? Are you ready for this? Yes? All right, a couple of tools. To make the soil right, you need tools, right? As I am digging out my pygmy palms and queen palms that could not survive four days of freezing hell that never happens in Corpus that happened a couple weeks ago, I need tools. Amen? All right. So number one, if you're going to keep the birds at bay, you'll need a tool of creativity. 
And we actually have this. There's a picture of a plastic owl. If you go out to our oak trees out here in the parking lot, we have plastic owls. Look up today. You'll see plastic owls in the tree because you want to keep the crows away. Because when the crows come, what do they do to your car? They crap all over it. And now I'm in trouble because I said the word crap. And Renee's going to say to me today later, why did you say crap? Why did you say crap? And you said it five times. I know this is going to happen, and I'm going to get crap for saying crap. Right, Renee? Yeah. But that's what they do. So we put plastic owls up. Right? The Bible, I, I love how the Bible says, it's interesting, I'm talking about birds that you want to keep away and birds that you want to have. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus at his baptism like a bird, like a dove, like a pigeon, basically. And if we want to keep the birds away, we have to have the ultimate bird installed in our life, and that's the Holy Spirit. We need to have the Holy Spirit helping us out. Amen? So I wonder if you come to church, if you're open to the Holy Spirit. I wonder when you show up at church, if you're just thinking, well, I hope the message is good today. I hope the music is good. I gave last week a B minus. Or I only got like two goosebumps this week. I got four goosebumps last week. Or what is my H-E-B list? Or I hope you come to worship and you say, you know, God, change my heart. Send me the Holy Spirit. Change my life. Change my situation. And, and you're praying for the people in your life. God, I, I just, you know, I pray for that young girl who's battling with depression and who's battling with suicide. You know, it's a real issue. You know, people talk about the pandemic and how, you know, we need to stay safe, and we got to stay at home, and, stay, and all those things are great, and some of it's true, certainly, we need to stay safe. But I'll tell you something else that's happened in the last year when kids have not been to school, 26% increase in suicide, 26% increase in mental depression, because guess what? We need to be around other people. We need community. There's one thing we can't broadcast, and that's community and fellowship, I can't broadcast it. If I could, I would. I can't broadcast what you're getting right now, what you get after the service when you sit here and go, gosh, that took forever. <laughs> so I hope you're praying and you're thinking about the person who needs you in their life, that teenager. I'm going to confess something to you. I have this bird feeder that I have put out, and I have tried my darndest to attract cardinals, because I like cardinals. Anyone here like cardinals? Yeah. And songbirds, and I like songbirds. So I've talked to Linda Fuman, our bird expert. How do I get songbirds in my yard? So you got to have certain kind of seed. So I have these certain kind of bird feeders I put up, and I have all this seed. And what do I get? I get 10,000 crows. And they come in, and they eat all the seed at once. I don't have a bird feeder for crows. I hate crows. And I don't know, but I, have, I had a battle this week with this demon-possessed crow. He's the biggest crow, and I don't know if they all got together and said, you know, because I go out there and I throw rocks at him to get rid of him. And this big demon-possessed Hugh Hefner crow has showed up in my life. I'm not kidding you. He built like seven nests under my porch in one night. Seven. I watched him build the nest. I'm out. I'm, I'm looking through the blinds. Renee's like, what are you doing? I'm, like, I'm watching this evil crow. She's like, you are so weird. I don't know. He had seven nests. I don't know what sort of swanky soiree he had planned. 
But I, I watched him. He's got a profile on Crow Tinder. He's swiping right at other birds. I mean, he's doing everything. I told that crow, you need a revival up in that nest. You need Jesus. So I went out and got rid of all the nests, 7 o'clock at night. Next morning, they're all rebuilt. I'm like, okay, this is on. This game on, me and the crow. So someone said to me, my neighbor said to me, Jeff, my neighbor, he goes to a, another church. I'm, I'm working on him. And uh, he said, you got to get a pellet gun. So I, I did. I went and bought a pellet gun. 187 bucks. But I, I couldn't bring myself to shoot him at first. I just got to shoot around him and scare him away. But then I got really, really low, and I said, that's it. I'm going to shoot this demon-possessed crow. When I shot him, but it didn't kill him, it just dinged off his chest. It just bounced off his chest. And he looked at me, and he came back defiantly, and, and he just stared at me. And you know what he said? I know you got to sleep sometime. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, this is a true story. It's raining. I'm standing in the rain with this pellet gun. The bird's standing there with a bunch of leaves in his mouth like he's going to build another nest. So no, you're not. So I went over to Home Depot, and I got me some spiky things. You know those spiky things? Do you know those spiky things you can put up? We got a picture of them. You can put them up so he can't land anywhere on my porch now. No, there's no landing. Because if he does, he's in trouble. And I just wonder in your life, what are you doing to make your heart so hospitable to the birds, right? Because birds are like thoughts, and they just land in your head, and you let them stay, and you let them build nests, right? What kind of negativity and grumbling and criticism is there that just attracts the enemy and attracts that darkness? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you spending time with that's making so easy for the birds to land in your life? Maybe you need to install some of those spiky things, okay? What about rocky ground? Well, you got to get the rocks out, right? Well, what do you need? You have to go deep. For plants to go deep, there needs to be no rocks. So, so to go deep, it takes a lot of effort. I've dug trenches before. I, my back is sore today because I was digging up plants and replanting stuff yesterday, and I worked like an hour and a half, and my back was just like sore. And Renee's like, well, I guess you're not what you used to be, huh? And I said, that's enough out of you. So anyway, there are, there are rocky places in your heart, no doubt. There are rocky places in my heart. Are we willing to engage the kind of effort it's going to take to get those rocks out, to plow up our follow ground, to quote the Old Testament so God can get down to the deep things in our life that he wants it takes effort to go deep, to admit that, hey, there's some rocks over there and some rocks over here. There's some rocks of greed, rocks of resentment, rocks of bitterness. And what about pulling up weeds? Weeds. Does anyone realize how easy weeds grow in Corpus Christi? Yeah. That whole weed and feed stuff you buy at Lowe's or Home it actually feeds the weeds, I'm convinced. Weed and feed. Yeah, feed the weeds. And when you pull weeds, there's no easy way to say this. It just takes good old-fashioned persistence if you want to pull weeds in your life and the weeds in your heart and the weeds in my life. Because there's other things that I have, I get distracted that strangle out my passion for God. These things that are at times good things, but they cause us to miss out on the best things. Because we just, you know... We don't want to pull them. But here's the thing. It's impossible 
to pull weeds standing up. For some of us, the reason we have weeds in our life is because we just haven't been on our knees in a while. We've not humbled ourselves to God. Sometimes you just have to get down and let the posture of your body reflect the posture of your heart and pray. And there'd be some of that humility that we'd say, God, what are the weeds in my life right now? What has grown up and needs pulled? And I want to say that this is the wonderful thing about my wife, even though she doesn't like the word crap, and she doesn't like it when I say it in church, crap, 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 crap. <laughs> she is amazing at saying to me, you know, there's a weed over here, and a weed, like for instance, one of the weeds in my life is I'm really good at offending people without even realizing it. do to do do I just open my mouth, verbal vomit. I say something, and Renee goes, you know, you probably hurt their feelings. And I'm like, you think? I don't think so. Yes, you did. Go back and say you're sorry. And nine times out of ten, there's a weed there, and I needed to go pull it. You understand what I'm saying? So you need people in your life that can say, hey, you're getting a little weedy over here. And that's spiritual. That's actually a good thing when someone can say in love, not because they want to point out your defects, or your character defects, but they want you to be a better person. We all need people in our life to say, you're getting a little weedy over here. Amen? That's the purpose of church. That's the purpose of fellowship, to build each other up, to encourage each other, but also to convict each other when we need change. So what's choking your passion from God? What's keeping us from living on track towards heaven? What's tripping us up? You remember like Lot's wife? Jesus one time, shortest sermon ever preached, remember Lot's wife. She was supposed to move forward, but she turned backward. And he said, remember Lot's wife. Remember what happens. Remember how salty you can get when you're looking backward and you're trying to run forward. So let's dig up those weeds. Let's keep our hearts set on heaven. Let's keep living our lives as a mission for King Jesus. If, if we'll take care of the soil of our hearts, God will take care of of the soul of our lives. Amen? Amen? Now, we need all these tools. We need creativity. We need persistence. We need effort. We need other people in our life to tell us when it's weedy. But there's one word that we use at the beginning of the sermon, and I know it's been a long time, but at the beginning of the sermon, and I said we we're going to come back to it, and that word was somebody, one person. Is there anyone online? Can you type it in the word that I said? Pay attention. We're going to come back to it. I hope someone's typing it in. It starts with a C, has a D, has an R, an O, and a W. It is crowd. Crowd. We talked about crowds, crowdsourcing. You could also surf a crowd. That's what my kids said. Remember, Dad, you can surf crowd. You know, you know mosh, pit, whatever. You can please a crowd. You can fund through a crowd. But here's the cool thing about Jesus talking about the crowd. If you actually look into this, the origin of the word crowd, the old English word that forms our word for crowd, is actually the word we get for wheelbarrow. You're like, that doesn't make much sense, but it does. If you think about a wheelbarrow, wheelbarrow is a great thing because you can pack all sorts of things in a wheelbarrow, right? You can get my Bible. I can get my spiky things for the crow. I can put my phone in there. I can put my handkerchief in there. I can get my shovel in there and put some dirt, some, some soil. 
And here's the great thing. With a wheelbarrow, what can you do? You can push things along. You can move things to another place a lot easier than you can without a wheelbarrow, right? This is where you go, yes, yes. A wheelbarrow pushes, and that's the word crowd. Because a crowd literally is something that can push you along and push you in a good way or push you in a bad way. Which is why your mom always said, watch who you hang out with. And let me tell you, if the crowd that you do life with is pushing you along somewhere, it's going to sweep you off your feet somewhere. And we can either, towards good or evil, be pushed along in life. So be careful who you decide to call your crowd I remember one time I was reading this Choose Your Own Adventure book, and it was about a circus, and they had a, a Volkswagen, and it was turned to page seven to see what was happens with the Volkswagen. And so I did, and in the story, clown after clown after clown after clown came out of the little Volkswagen. And then I went to the circus, and I actually saw this trick. Have you ever seen that trick, where all the clowns come out of one car, just me? Did anyone here ever go to the circus? <laughs> well, this trick, when I was a kid... It amazed me. And I know it was just a trick, but it was like stupefying. It was the possibility of, it made a profound impact on me, something so small, and maybe this is why I like small cars, but, but out of that could come something so great. And it convinced me that a common object could contain wonders beyond my imagination. And things are not always what they seem, right? You should only get about three adults in a Volkswagen, right? Two comfortable, one very uncomfortable. And here's the point. We, too, are not always what we seem. Our best selves are sometimes hidden. But what if someone saw us, and I mean truly saw us, and believed, just like in that Volkswagen, that there's wonders of waiting inside of us, and there are things that could come out of you that you never even knew were possible Because life is a story of second chances, of changing the soil of your heart. Because there is one who truly sees what is inside of you. Now look, we're grumpy, we're scruffy, we're restless, and we're broken. We've done things we wish we hadn't. But inside each of us, there awaits an infinity of dazzle and color and humor and hope and sadness, and joy, and not an endless parade of clowns, but an endless fountain of God's love. We just need someone to open the door and to see in us what we could be and to believe. And that is Jesus. He sees what your heart not only is, but what your heart could be. And that's the way he was with everybody. He saw what Zacchaeus could be one day, not just what he was, a corrupt tax collector, but what he could be. And what he becomes. So what's it going to be? It is choose your own adventure. God gives you freedom to choose. You can be crowded soil, full of good things, but not full of the best. You could have rocky soil. You can be bitter. You can have shallow soil. Get disillusioned with God and just say, that's it. Or the fourth thing, the best thing is you can have fertile soil. It's choose your own heart. Will you turn to page seven for rich soil and God's love? 
or page 23 to continue on your own ways. It's choose your own adventure. And there are two primary choices in this choose your own adventure life. To accept the soul of your heart as it is, that's just the way I am. I'm never going to change. Or to take responsibility to change it. And until you take responsibility for the soil in your heart, someone else is going to garden it. And that's not the way it should be. Because in you is a wonder of possibilities, dazzling possibilities, things you never thought were possible. Can you see it? Jesus can. Let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this time to come together and to think about the soil of our hearts. We give thanks for this parable because, Lord, I think if most of us are honest, when we look at our lives, they're very crowded. There's a lot going on. And we claim it as a badge of honor. I'm just so busy. I've got so much going on. And yet I wonder how much of what we have going on is working to do eternal things, is working to make your kingdom come, your will being done, is bringing out the best in others. Father, I give thanks for this crowd that pushes us along, this wheelbarrow of a church which moves us towards you and moves us towards the good soil. Father, I pray that we'll continue to surround ourselves with a crowd that will push us in the right direction. I give thanks for the people in my life who point out the weeds, and I give thanks for the persistence to to bend down and pull those weeds up and to work and to make it happen. So Father, help us to leave here today and to take a good, long, hard look at our own hearts. Not the hearts of our spouse, not the hearts of our partner, not the hearts of someone else, but just our own self. And take responsibility that within it waits some endless possibilities. And that's what you see in us, that we're your children. We give thanks for Jesus who taught us as we say now the prayer he taught us saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.